today, identity theft is a thriving business. Watch this. Spending limit? Who cares? Not us, cause them ain't all credit cards. Sure ain't. Them motorcycles was expensive and fast. And loud. Oh, yeah. Them bikes be like, Wah! No, no, like, <laughs> They went like, Wah! <laughs> <laughs> Sound good, cause they free. Shoot. Yeah, shoot. I love Thelma and Norma. That's kind of me and Jody. But, <laughs> but that... That is about protecting your money, right? But this series is about protecting our God-designed, unique identity. Because there is an enemy out there, God's enemy number one. And he does not want us to know that identity. Because you see it says in Psalm 139 that long before we were ever even a twinkle in our mother and father's eye, he knit us together in our mother's womb and he had a, a plan for each one of us. Now, God chose our parents. We didn't have a thing to do with it, did we? We had to accept who he put together to be our parents. He chose our uh, time period that we were born in. We were all born somewhere between whoever the oldest one is here and whoever the youngest one is here today. Uh, he chose our siblings. Right, Jody? Yeah. Yeah. He chose our siblings. Uh, he even chose if we're a boy or a girl. He chose it. And then you know what? We get to come out into the world and do whatever we want with that. He gives us free choice, doesn't we? Don't, d we get free choice. And we <laughs> kind of mess that up, don't we? we? We tend to mess that up. What he planned for us. But he has a plan for each one of us. Somebody said the best two days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why you were born. Because every single one of us was given a plan and a purpose for our life. The problem is... Some people live and die and never find out what it is. Some people live and die and never know that God design that he knit together in our mother's womb. And, and we fall for the enemy number one lies. He tempts us to believe in these labels and these comparisons that we make. Oh, you know, I'm just a liar, or I'm no good, I'm dumb, or you know what, I'm smarter than that person is, or I'm not nearly as successful as that person. Labels and comparisons are the temptations that the enemy gives us to distort our God-given design, and we fall for it too often. So this series is encouraging us to do battle with those lies and look square into the face of truth because it's there that we'll find God's original design and his original plan that he had uniquely for every single one of us. Let's look at our key verse and let's read it together. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. That's our key verse. So today, we're going to look at one of the sneakiest ways, one of the sneakiest ways that our identity gets distorted, and that's through our feelings. Now, I drove Buddy's car one day, and I couldn't figure out the Sirius radio, so I just turned it on 60s music, and I enjoy that, and I happen to know every lyric of every song 
from every 60s song. It, it's really scary to me. But anyway, I gave his car back, and we were a couple days later, uh, we were riding down the road, and he said, now how many times do you think back in the day I heard that song, Harper's Valley PTA? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. It just played, and it just kind of went into your head. And he said, I never, he said, it came on, and he said, I never knew the story of that song. And that's what inspired me for this message today. And so I asked Jody, can you sing like Jeannie C. Riley? I want you to sing with punch and with sarcasm. So take it away, man. And wore her many skirt into the room. And as she walked up to the blackboard, I still recall the words she had to say. She said, I'd like to address this meeting of the Harper Valley PTA. Well, there's Bobby Taylor sitting there, and seven times he's asked me for a day. And Mrs. Taylor sure seems to use a lot of ice whenever he's away. And Mr. Baker, can you tell us why your secretary had to leave this town? And shouldn't Widow Jones be told to keep her window shades open completely down? Well, Mr. Harper couldn't be here because he stayed too long at Kelly's bar again. And if you smell Shirley Thompson's breath, you'll find she's had a little nip of gin. And then you had the nerve to tell me you think that as a mother I'm not fit. Well, this is just a little Peyton place and you're a Harper Valley hypocrites. No, I wouldn't put you on because it really didn't happen just this way. The day my mama socked it to the Harper Valley BTA. The day my mama socked it to the Harper Valley BTA. The day my mama socked it to the Harper Valley BTA. 
got that twang in there, didn't she? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Miss Stella Johnson had some pretty strong feelings, didn't she? She did. Have you ever noticed how we tend to define ourselves by our feelings? I feel great. I feel like a bad person. I feel good when I do good things for other people. Uh, I feel like I'm just a disappointment to everybody that I love. Somebody just said this to me just last week. They said, Gay, I just feel like my best days are behind me. You know, people will say, I feel ugly. The song that was written that Gracie sang was a girl that felt ugly. I feel like a loser. I feel like people just don't take me serious. And I said to my friend, I said, well, you know, just because you feel something doesn't make it true. Because you might feel like your best days are behind you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are. See, we begin, we, we tend, if you listen to yourself, you'll begin to see how much you define yourself, how much we define ourselves by our feelings. So I want to give you four things about feelings. First of all, feelings are God-given. <laughs> Just keeping me on my toes here. And you, see, you're with me. You're with me. Feelings are God-given. God gave us our feelings. He wants us to express the full range of emotion. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be sad. He wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be glad. I didn't have that in my notes. I, it just rhymed. <laughs> he, he, wants us, he wants us to be frustrated. He wants us to be feel like whatever so that we can be dependent on him. He gives us these emotions so that it'll add color to our life. It makes life beautiful. It makes life difficult. It, it allows us to know that we need God. But it, he also gives this feelings to us to be clues. Feelings are clues that something's going on in your heart. Because you see, our feelings flow out of our heart. That's why Jesus made his kingdom our heart. Because the Bible says that our heart is deceitful and we can't trust it. Secondly, I went a little too soon with that, uh, with that scripture, but that's okay, we'll get to that. God wants us to, so those two reasons, uh, he gives them to us for color, so our life will be colorful, and he gives them to us as clues to tell us the condition of our heart. Secondly, but God never designed our feelings to be our guiding light. And that's what I've found in our world today with people and myself, and we have to figure this out. Because we tend to allow our feelings to lead us, to guide us. If I feel this way, then it must be that way. We accept it as true. But that's not true. You see, feelings flow out of our heart, and this is where that scripture comes in. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. See, feelings were designed a way that God designed them. But we humans, we misuse them. Sometimes we believe that, the, that we, we put moral judgments on them, and that's number three. Feelings have no moral value. They're not right, 
They're not wrong. They just are. And so we have to learn how to stop judging our feelings. We don't like to feel bad, and so we'll do anything we can to feel good. We have to stop saying, well, you shouldn't feel that way. No, Stella Johnson was ticked off. Well, of course she felt that way. But the key is in how we respond to what's going on inside of us, and that's what we're going to look at today. So stop judging your feelings. Would you take this week and just observe yourself and see how many times you're judging the feelings of someone else or yourself because feelings were given to you not to be judged not to be right or wrong they were given to you to tell you give you some clues about the condition of your heart and of other people's heart number four left unchecked and unexamined feelings can create havoc because they are extremely powerful they can build up or they can tear down. So let's look at the story of Harper Valley PTA and Ms. Stella Johnson. How do you think Stella felt when she got that letter? When she read that letter, how do you think she felt? Angry, Angry yeah. That one we see, don't we? <laughs> that one we see. She was infuriated. What did someone over here say? Outraged, Outraged. yes. That, pardon me? Hurt. Hurt. Shame, ashamed. Incredulous? Ooh, that's a good word. <laughs> um, what? Judged. Uh, humiliated? All of this stuff was rolling around in her heart, wasn't it? And whatever feelings were in there, it landed on what? Anger. And how did she respond to her anger? One of the most common ways that all of us respond. We respond out of our anger and we just want to get back. We want that person to hurt as bad as they've hurt us. Now, we may not act on that, but there's something in our heart that's there. It's just a common, don't judge yourself for it. It's a normal human feeling. It hurts. And then it goes to anger. And then we respond on that anger. And, and then we allow, as Stella did, our feelings to be our guiding light. Stella, Stella's feelings then were her guiding light. And she proceeded then to what? Do the very thing that we humans do. Point our finger at other people. And we compare. And we say, I can't believe you did that to me. And we pick out everything about them that they've done wrong. We're notorious for this in our marriages. Have you ever noticed that, you guys that are married? <laughs> we can see what the other person does so clear, right? And we know how to point out what they've done. And we get down on Stella here, but she just acted on what all of us feel in our heart at some time or another, right? <laughs> if we're really honest with ourselves and honest with our emotions, well, we have to be honest with what's going on in there because that's how we feel. And it feels good for a little while. I'm sure that Stella felt really good after she walked out on the porch of that school. Yeah, I got them back. Oh, yeah, I socked it through the Harper Valley PTA. <laughs> but did anybody notice her daughter? I want you to hold that thought, okay? Because it feels good for a little while. 
But the only thing that it accomplishes is human demolition. Feelings unchecked and unexamined and pointed at other people will always end in demolition. Who's going to break that cycle? Who's going to choose to do it a different way? You see, if Stella doesn't examine that humiliation, that hurt, wherever that landed in her heart, she will only continue that cycle and have those feelings over and over and respond the same way. And then the anger will intensify and that cycle will get bigger and bigger. And if you notice, she infused it right into her daughter. Her daughter was embarrassed, wasn't she? She was humiliated. But Stella is teaching her daughter how to do life. And the only thing her daughter's going to know when she gets in that situation is to do exactly what her mom did. And the question is, who's going to break that cycle? You see, because what happens is, with Stella, to get caught in that cycle is going to erode her self-respect. It's going to feed the bitterness and it's going to feed the confusion, and it's going to go deeper and deeper into her heart, and she will stay with this victim mentality. The whole world is treating me wrong. I can't believe that person did this to me, and it'll be a different situation every time, but it'll be the same thing over and over and over. And the pattern will go on. The beat will go on. Stella might have socked it to those hypocrites, and she felt good maybe for a little while. But Stella, your daughter's watching. And she's not going to tell you, listen to the words you say. She's going to continue the patterns that you're living and that you're infusing into her. See, to feel is to be human and healthy and alive. But if those feelings that drive us all go unchecked and unexamined, see, the enemy knows what that is deep within your heart. And oftentimes we don't take time to know what that is. I heard that the Marines have a book about that thick to know how to understand your enemy. They need to understand their enemy. And we do too. The one that wants to steal your God-given identity knows what that is buried deep within your heart. And if we don't examine that, if we don't unearth that, then we will be driven by that and it will affect every relationship that we ever have. Believe me, I've watched this over the years. I've watched it in my own life and I'm not telling you anything that God hasn't spoken to me about and shown me within my own heart. I took time to allow someone to help me do that. And so I thought, you know, why do we watch other people? Why do we continue to stay in the patterns of maybe parents that did it a certain way and maybe use them for an excuse or blame ex-spouses or whatever? Why do we do that? Why do we not look square in the face of truth and look at the one who had a pure heart, who knew exactly who he was, knew exactly what his purpose on earth was? He had self-respect. He had self-awareness. He had inner peace. Why do we not look squarely into the face of truth 
to learn to know what our God-given identity is. So let's look at Jesus, and let's look at his feelings. He had feelings, too. He was compassionate. Do you know every single one of us was created with a capacity for compassion? And Jesus shows us how to do compassion. You know, in the church, a lot of times, we do a lot of things, um, a lot of good things, because it makes us feel like a good person. And one of the, oh, it grated on me so bad when I had someone, the person that I chose to allow me to show me me, say to me, do you just do those things to feel like a good person? And I said, no. I mean, I denied it right away. But I said, you know what, I need to open my mind that maybe there are some things that I'm doing just so I'll feel like a good person. And I found some things. And I began to eliminate those things, no matter what anybody said or any guilt trip they placed on me that I should be doing that. I began to eliminate those things, and it took me right down to where my compassion lies. Now, the Greek word for compassion means like this emotional sensation, like heartbreaking or gut-wrenching. Jesus felt compassion for who? For people in need. When he would walk through a crowd, he would see people in need, and it broke his heart. He saw the leper. He saw the widow by the coffin of her only son. He saw the crowd starving. And those are the things that broke his heart. His heart broke when he saw people in distress. And then he responded out of that heartbreak. We need to know what breaks our heart. What makes you cry? Not what someone has guilted you in to do. We need to begin to shed those things away. But what makes you cry? What breaks your heart? See, Jesus didn't do good things to feel like a good person. He did them because he walked through the crowds. He didn't heal everybody. He went straight to some people. There were, there were some people that just broke his heart. I know when I came back from Nigeria, the, one of the first times we were in an election year, and I saw what I saw in Nigeria. It was the worst of the worst. I've been to a lot of places in, in the world. But it, it, what I saw was like I had never seen before. And, and I came back to the States, and people were griping and complaining. This was like eight years ago at the election time then. And people were griping and complaining about this government and about our country. And it was like, that broke my heart. It broke my heart that we have no appreciation for the blessings that we have here. And so I said, you know, you know, buddy, Jason, we go clear to Nigeria and we help the children there. But we found out about a school right in our backyard that had needs as well. And that broke my heart that we were helping people in Nigeria, but we really weren't doing that in our local community. And that's when Livingston Ministry was born. And I got to tell you guys, last night there were two little girls here that had never been here before. And they told their mom, they said, I got to go over here. And they came over to me after the service and they said, thank you, we're from Livingston. And I said, that wasn't me, that was our body. Because I brought that back to you and you responded and your heart broke as well for children who didn't have socks or pajamas. And then Jackie's heart broke. Jason's heart broke. And now Livingston 
is thriving in a way that it never did before because the body of Christ had a broken heart. That's compassion. That's how Jesus... What breaks your heart? It's important for you to find out. Because the world and all of those things will kind of take that away from you. It'll steal away from you. Secondly, Jesus got angry. You know that, right? Mark portrays Jesus as looking around with anger, and it was especially at the religious leaders who were oppressing people with all their religious rules. And I got to tell you, that breaks my heart too. I'll tell you why. Because I think a lot of people have missed Jesus because of all the religious stuff that people have thrown out there. Even we as Christians have not lived this vibrant life that attract and other people want because it's kind of like we're judging each other. We're pointing our finger. But Jesus got angry at that as well. But unlike Jesus, I had to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, how can I do this anger? Jesus was angry with them, but he was also grieved by the hardness of their heart. And that deserved his anger, but the condition of their stony hearts caused him to grieve. And he could have chosen to retaliate in anger at those religious leaders, like Stella did. He could have chosen to do that, but he didn't because Jesus, my Jesus, he's a class act. He just is. He knows how to do this. And so I looked to him, and generated by God's spirit, he looked beyond their behavior to their heart. And he responded in love. Can you imagine at one point being extremely angry, yet responding in genuine love? It's because Jesus had a pure heart. And we have to allow him to transform our heart into being like him, because we can be like him. That's why he died. You see, that breaks the cycle. Who's going to break the cycle of just repeating the same patterns that you learned as a child over and over and over again? Aristotle said this. He said, anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, that's not easy. Now, that is a Greek philosopher. It's not easy. And he probably couldn't do it, but Jesus did. He knew how to do his anger. He felt it the same as you and I. We live in an angry society. People are angry. Buddy and I, uh, we were coming back from uh, Harrisonburg, and there's this one little place on this road where there's a stoplight because they're building a bridge, and there was a, a person waiting there, and Buddy stopped, and he went on. And uh, the next thing I know, now, I'm quick to pick out Buddy's wrongness in driving, <laughs> but Buddy didn't do anything wrong. And this woman, <laughs> I mean, she came out, and she gave us multiple, I won't do it to you, but multiple over and she blew the horn and she was having her own little anger party right there with her. And we're looking over and we're just kind of getting a kick out of it because it was like, what? Where did that come from? And not only that, she followed us and then, and then passed us and, and then she turned around and she laid on the horn. And it's like, we're just kind of watching a movie. <laughs> it, it was just kind of funny to us because we thought, where in the world did that? That's where our world is at. 
That's what the world knows. They don't see people who get angry yet have chosen to break the cycle and look beyond and not point the finger and not judge themselves or other people and look to the heart. We get so hung up in behavior. You see, Jesus hated sin. There is a place for hate in our heart. And that's directed at sin. God hates sin. And we have to point that back to ourselves and allow God to rid sin out of our life. See, Jesus hated sin. He hated injustice. He hated oppression, just like the next guy. But he didn't riot. He didn't retaliate. He didn't bring harm. He treated all people the same. He respected everyone, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. He respected his friends. He even respected his enemies. How do you do that? Well, it's impossible humanly. It's only when we look squarely into the face of truth that we can be transformed into his image. See, feelings of anger, depression, sadness are clues to something that needs attention in your heart. And you know what I've found with myself, and Buddy said this as well, and most people that come to my office for counseling, I'll say, well, how do you feel? It's such a counselor kind of thing to ask. But do you know what? Most people, most people cannot identify what that feeling is. And until we can identify it, it's going to drive us. But all of those feelings are something that needs attention in our own heart that only the Spirit can free us from. Anger is like a fire. When it burns out of control, it harms and it destroys. But anger, like Jesus's, kindles a flame within us. Have you ever thought about that, that your anger is useful to you? Your anger is important to you. God gave you the ability to feel angry. It's just that we haven't learned good ways of responding to it. But Jesus had anger, and it can kindle this flame within us, and it can warm and restore life if we express it the way that he intended. Compassion, anger. Jesus also grieved. You know, I believe one of the greatest idols in our world today is feel good. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to feel good. I put my top down in 30-degree weather. I put, got my heated steering wheel, and I go get me a latte, and I take a little drive around the city. I'm telling you, I am feeling good. The dopamine hits are just going like crazy. Don't need a joint. Don't need a drink. I just need my top down. In my, you understand what I'm saying? We like to feel good, don't we? We pop pills to feel good. We want that pain to go away. But Jesus grieved. He hurt. He had pain. And he sat in it. He didn't do anything to avoid it. He didn't do anything to numb it. He didn't do anything to deny it. He just sat there with his father. And I got to tell you, I've had to grieve a lot in my life. Began with my father and my grandparents, my mother, my sister, my brother. I've had to grieve a lot of people in my life. But it was the last one about three years ago, when my niece passed away, that finally I learned how to truly grieve, to just sit there and to feel it and to weep and to hurt and to not go do something that'll make it better. 
And that's what Jesus did. He sat there, he walked over, he, he wept over the destruction of this city that he loved. He wept at the tomb of his friend. He, deep, he was deeply moved when he saw Mary weeping. And he was grieved when he heard that one of his disciples, one of these people that he loved, was going to betray him. He wept. He cried. He wailed. He sat in it with his father. And he didn't try to make it go away. We humans, we naturally want quick fixes. We want easy solutions. We want a suffering-free journey through life. We want to feel good. And so our life revolves around just getting through this hurt and pain instead of taking the steps that truly will make a difference in the future and break cycles. Jesus also felt joy. Luke paints Jesus rejoicing greatly in the spirit. His joy was not dependent on his circumstances. You know Jesus was homeless, right? Didn't have a home, didn't have a mortgage. That's kind of bittersweet there. <laughs> uh, he, he was betrayed. Anybody here been betrayed? Uh, he was also misunderstood. One of the things I heard myself say to, to Buddy for years and years, you just don't understand me. You just don't understand. I wanted him to understand me. Jesus was misunderstood. But I saw this in the India slum children. I saw joy. These are some pictures that I took while we were there. And this is a place that was one of the worst of the worst where these children were. There was open sewage there were dirt floors. There were just little canvas uh, for them to sleep under. They, uh, when we took food in there, I saw one, it fell into the sand and they scooped it up, sand and all, and ate it. But these are the faces that I saw. I saw joy in that slum because that's childlike wonder that we lose over time. I saw the face of God in those children, and when I came out, I knew why Mother Teresa did what she did. What I experienced in that slum, I don't see a lot when I come back to the States. Jesus had joy like that, and he can live in us. The joy of the childlike wonder in our heart, and doesn't life sort of steal that from us? I don't ever want to lose. That's why I take my grandkids. I have a little selfish motive when I take those grandkids on those trips because I love to do the stuff that kids love to do. It brings out the childlike wonder in me, and I don't ever want that to happen no matter what age I'm at. You see, joy doesn't come from what we have, and don't we work ourselves silly to get the stuff that we have? It doesn't come from what we have, but it comes from a willingness to transcend our circumstances and delight in the mysterious wonder that comes from knowing God and being connected to him and being loved and accepted even at my ugliest. That's what he does for me. Why wouldn't I do that for others? Why wouldn't I do that for myself? Jesus loved as well. Now, Jesus experienced the feeling of love. He loved his friends. He loved his city. He loved to have fun. Remember the wedding? But those feelings were not his guiding light. God's love moved far beyond his feelings to an unshakable commitment of his will. 
It's a love that keeps on going when those feelings go away. It's the very thing that will keep a marriage together. It's the only thing that will keep a marriage together is a commitment because those feelings go up and down, over and out. We can't trust them. We can't trust them. But he experienced the full range. Jesus felt the full range of emotion, compassion, anger, grief, and joy, all because he loved. And the only way that's possible for us is if love lives through us. If we have allowed ourselves to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to allow him to come in and transform us and change us by choosing him. Ah, oh, if Stella Johnson could have just understood this, she could have just turned that around and gone back home and said, oh man, that hurt. I am so humiliated. And begin to examine what was going on there. Everything would change for her. Out of her hurt, she did the very thing that sabotaged what she really wanted. She continued and perpetuated that same, that same cycle that will go down to her daughter because her daughter was humiliated. Why would she not handle it the same way? So maybe, most likely, her daughter will take it out on Stella. And the beat goes on. Who's going to break the cycle? Who's going to look at Jesus and do it the way that Jesus did? Instead of vulnerability, we follow our misguided natural inclinations to withdraw. And I can tell you, if we don't retaliate that way, we'll stuff those feelings way deep down in our heart. We'll deny them. We won't even, we won't even take the time to know what's in there. But um, we won't allow ourselves to. We'll, we'll try to save ourselves. We'll try to pretend it didn't happen. C.S. Lewis said this in The Four Loves. He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. I can guarantee it'll be broken. You love, your heart's going to be broken. If you want to keep it safe, give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Lock it up safe in the casket of selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it won't be broken. It'll just be irredeemable. I've heard so many people say, I've been so hurt. I was betrayed. I'll never do that again. Get a casket. What does it mean to be vulnerable like Jesus? It means you're not looking to the person to your left or the person to your right, but you're looking within your own heart and you're allowing God to shine his light on those places that you've denied all these years. To experience pure emotion brightly and intensely like Jesus did, we have to be transformed into our God-given, unique identity that we've allowed to be stolen by a thief that does not want you to know it. Because if you know your God-given design, you will be very useful in this world. And God's enemy, number one, does not want that to happen. If we could just dig deeper into Stella's heart, we'd probably find a pocket of guilt and of shame that's really never been tended to. 
And everything that she does leads out of that. It's just eating away at her fragile self-esteem. You see, when we're guided by our feelings, it erodes our self-respect. There's got to be a better way. And there is. And this is my purpose on life, is to tell the truth. It's to tell what God has shown me and set me free and unlocked inside of me. Because when we look into the face of truth of Jesus, his spirit, we have to tune in. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be sensitive. We have to listen. We have to know the truth. We can't be guided by our feelings. But so many people in the church and in, in Christianity are guided by their, I feel, I feel like God is here. Well, whether you feel it or not, God is always here. We can't be guided by our feelings. Because it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies. Because his spirit lives in you. So here's the work that we need to do. See, everybody, I think a lot of times comes to church and wants God to do all the work. But when he, move, he says, I'll move those mountains for you, here's your shovel. Okay? For me, it's an archaeological dig down into my heart, into my soul. And I found some things that as I have begun to heal in that way, he's setting me free and it can happen for us. But first of all, you have to be able to identify that recurring feeling that you've had most of your life. It might be that um, argument you just had with your spouse, you had that same feeling as a child. You've got to identify that. It's hard. You'll probably need help. But it's down deep in your heart. It's one of these four things. You feel abandoned. That was mine. My dad left and he never said goodbye. And at 15 years old, I had no clue what to do with that. So I carried that with me all of my life and it came out in a variety of ways and I had to figure out that a lot of what I was doing was coming from my feelings of abandonment. Every time somebody would leave the church or somebody would leave without saying goodbye, it broke my heart. Because my brothers got divorced and my father left without saying goodbye and that would touch on that abandonment in my heart and it would just throw me into a tailspin. Not anymore. Because other people don't have power over that place in my heart anymore. God's healing it. So we have to identify. It's, we're either insignificant, unlovable, abandoned, or unvaluable, uh, un, uh, unimportant. Last night, buddy said, mine is unimportant. And I can look at our relationship and I can see how that played itself out. It just does. If you don't know what it is, your enemy does. And we're driven by that until we reclaim our identity. See, we'll subconsciously be driven by that. Secondly, evaluate that against God's truth. Am I alone? Well, no. <laughs> I might feel alone. I might be sitting here crying because I'm all, but I'm really not alone. God is right here with me. Am I really unloved? Well, no, because God loves me. I mean, the Bible says that he does. Am I unimportant? No, I'm unique. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He had a plan for me. 
I'm pretty important in his eyes. That's not pumping ourselves up. That's just the truth. And then we begin to respond to the truth. And we have to look within there and say, where did this come from? And how did I draw the conclusions that I've drawn? Because you see, we live by so many lies. This series is about doing battle with the lies that have stolen your God-designed, unique identity. Question the lies, not the truth. And then when you begin to discover that, I found there's only one thing that will seep down in the deepest crevices that our heart has, and that's Christ's blood. There are places that his blood will reach that mankind and nothing else will. And it's why I'm in the church and a pastor along with the beauty of the science of my profession. Because my profession doesn't want to claim Christ's blood. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that that's what it takes to clean out those places in our heart so that we can be set free. And fourthly, begin to respond differently. Live the truth. You may not feel alone. Don't let your feelings be your guiding light. Know that you're sitting there in your pain with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loves you more than anything in the whole world. My cousin said one time, you know, the first half of our life is us just screwing it up and the last half is trying to get it worked out. Kind of like that, isn't it? But I can tell you, if you will take this and you'll allow God to transform you, the band's going to come out, they're going to get in place, and then I'm going to give you two truths to live by this week. And you just watch yourself. You watch how much you judge yourself. You watch how much you're guided by your feelings. You just watch yourself this week. But if you take these two truths and you live them out, whether you feel them or not, I can guarantee you that God's Holy Spirit will transform you into looking more like him. And here's the first one. I'm never alone. I'm never alone. The Lord himself get, goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the second one is, I am a masterpiece. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He had a plan, and my job throughout my life is to know him and to know that plan. And as we get closer to the truth and as we look the truth in the face, he will transform us, and he will develop along the journey of life our God-given identity. In Matthew it says, live out your God-created identity. Come on, you guys, as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's shine that light into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your truths. And you know, the first step, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you haven't entered into a personal relationship with him, it's the first step. Because I can tell you, it's only been in my relationship with Jesus. And looking into his face of truth, that he's shown a light on those things in my life that I ask him to do. Search my heart, God. Show me those things that are getting in the way of your God-given identity of me. And I'm going to be honest about those things, and I'm going to surrender them to you, 
And I'm going to allow you and be willing to allow you to transform me into who you created me to be. Not who my parents created me to be, although I, I, I love what they did, but who you created me to be. Know Jesus. And then commit to do battle with those lies by looking straight into the face of truth. And who is truth? Jesus Christ. If you're gutsy enough, if you have the grit to pray, search my heart, God. Show me that place deep within my heart that I've never taken a look at. He will. He will. But you got to not do what Stella did, pointing at everybody else. You've got to turn into your own heart and do some work there. There's your shovel. God's Spirit is here. Would you allow Him to begin a whole new transformation in you? Let's stand together and worship.
next to you and tell them you are all he says I am. I am all he says I am. So don't forget that, okay? Because that's a good, good statement. You know, I've been a feeler. I'm a feeler kind of person all my life and my feelings have driven me and I have a tough time getting my mind around those things and not letting them identify me. Uh, but this message certainly has helped me to come to grips with that uh, at an even deeper level. So I hope that you'll just take those notes home, think about them, pray about them. And remember, you're not who the devil says you are, and you're not who you say you are. You are who God says you are. So go in peace and have a great week. Bring a friend, come back next week, and God bless.